Hello, this is Tim Convoy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. The Gospel of chapter 16. I know some are going, come on, get to 17, get to 17. If you have a red letter edition, you'll notice how many pages, chapters, 15, 16, 17, I mean, 14. I mean, you just go through and you'll see all the red letter edition that Jesus is talking. And we're, we're covering not even a 24-hour period of time. As I said, when you stop and think about it, that 12 chapters of the Gospel of John is the three years of Jesus' ministry. And the remaining chapters, till chapter 21, the last nine chapters are the last few days of Jesus' ministry. So half of the book is dedicated to just a a number of days, and of that half, half of that half is dedicated to a 24-hour period. So when you really stop and think of it, it's like, wow, there's a lot compressed into this portion that the Lord wants to teach us and help us and instruct us on. And we thank the Lord for the Gospel of John because unlike the synoptic Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John covers areas that the other three do not cover. And so uh, there's a lot here we can learn and, and really a, a lot concerning our lives, concerning the Holy Spirit, concerning uh, Jesus' uh, work of redemption and so forth. And so today we're going to be in verse 7. We covered of chapter 16. We, we looked at the first few verses of this chapter, and as you recall, uh, Jesus had some not real happy news for them in the first uh, few verses where he said, people are going to hate you, they're going to kick you out of the synagogues, and some think just by killing you, they're doing God a favor. And so uh, we looked at that last week, and we're going to pick it up on that note in verse 7 as Jesus writes, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good or advantage that I am going away. By the way, always remember this about Jesus. Everything he does in our life, whether we like it or wish it wasn't there or glad it was there or whatever your thought of whatever takes place, whatever happens in our life, all these things will work together for good to those who love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. Is that right? May not look good at the time, may not feel good, may not sound good, but he says, I got a promise for you. What I do in your life as a believer is good and will be good ultimately. Ultimately. And so, as he lays this out to the disciples, he just gets done telling them some really bad news. He says, hey, you're going to be hated, you're going to be kicked out of synagogue, and some are going to kill you thinking they're doing God a favor. So I'm going to leave you, and it's for your good. Isn't it funny how we just read the text? And we don't stop for a minute and say, wow. I mean, the verse just prior, he just said, your hearts are grieving. You're very sorrowful. And he goes, and you're doing this for my good? Could you come up with a a plan B? Is there another door, another option here? Everything God does in our lives is for our good and for his glory. Keep those two in mind. Our good, his glory. That's how he operates. So he he says to them, it's going to be to your good, to your advantage, believe it or not, that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, or it may be translated comforter or helper, 
the counselor will not come to you. Now he's talking directly to disciples. We know that he is going to come in just over 50 days from now, right? But until that time, he says right now, if I don't leave, he won't come. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, here's what he's going to do. He will convict the world of guilt in regards to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And in regards to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. In other words, they've reached their limit of revelation at this point. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, remember, for them, it's going to be 50 days, 50 plus days from now, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you uh, what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me. See, our good is glory. By taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father, Jesus says, is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Isn't that a wonderful thing? It's not that Tim will make this known to you. The Spirit will make this known to you. You found? All, all I can do is expound and explain as I understand the Scripture, but the Spirit of God has to make these things known to us. He has to embed it within us and, and filter out truth from error and help our, and lead our, our spirit in the direction of His Spirit. Father, as we come to Your Word this morning, I ask, Lord, that You will hide me behind the cross. May people see Jesus. May people hear your spirit. May I hear your spirit. May we sense truth. May we embrace truth. And Father, may your truth move from our head down into our very soul and our spirit and our heart. May it become a controlling factor in our lives. I know, Lord, in my life I can have things in my head, but until it really sinks down into my being, It's just intellectual knowledge. It's just assenting to the facts. So, Father, by Your Spirit, do the work that Your Spirit can do, and that is to to just put it into us and and cause us to embrace it, both to will and to do of Your good pleasure. So, Father, meet with us now by Your Spirit. Teach us, we ask. Move us. Guide us into all truths as You promised You would do. We're so grateful for this. It's just so awesome, Lord, that You are willing to be patient with us and to teach us, and to guide us, and to comfort us, and to help us, and to reveal to us your truth. Thank you for who you are, Lord. I I would be so impatient with myself, but you're such a patient God, such a God of grace. Pour out your grace in our midst, Lord. Anoint us with your presence, with your power. Help us to embrace your truth. And Father, we want to bless your holy name, because it's because of the name of Jesus that we're even here today. So in Jesus' name we pray this, and in Jesus' name we believe it. And all God's people said, Amen. And Amen, Amen. As we come to our text, as I mentioned, this is um, quite a shift 
in understanding. It's quite a shift in, in the theme and the topic. Now, think of this. If I were to tell you, people are going to hate you. And then I were to tell you that you're going to get kicked out of the synagogue, or say kicked out of church, wherever you may be. Or I were to tell you, matter of fact, someone's even going to try to kill you. Do you think your mind would be a little preoccupied with these things? Then I said, oh yeah, now I want to tell you about something else. Right? We don't just shift gears that quick, do we? <laughs> the Lord tells them this. Their heart is really grieving and really hurting and very sorrowful, he says, and he knows their heart. He goes, but I want to move you to the next thing I need to talk to you about, and that's the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I am going to be leaving, and if I don't leave, the Holy Spirit cannot come. You know, and people grapple with that, and they say, well, that seems strange. Why, why is it that Jesus has to leave in, in order for the Holy Spirit to come? And the answer is quite simple, actually. Jesus has to finish his work of redemption. And the work of redemption, of redeeming our soul, is not complete while he's here on earth, okay? At this point, as he's talking to his disciples, he has not yet gone to the cross. He will go to the cross, and he will take the sinner's place. He will be the sinner's substitute. He will die on the cross, but he still has to be raised from the dead to show that the Father is satisfied with his payment, right? And that he had no sin of his own. If he has sin of his own, no raising from the dead, right? He has his own penalty to pay. So his redemptive work didn't stop at the cross. His redemptive work didn't stop at the resurrection, he then, like the high priest, had to go into the Holy of Holies to the mercy seat where the priest would go in into that, the second entrance or second room and the, you got the holy place and the holy holies in the temple. He would go into the mercy seat and sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat which is over the Ark of the Covenant. You follow me? That's what the Holy Spirit, or excuse me, that, that's the role of the high priest here was to go into the holy place, the presence of of God. So Jesus' resurrection and staying on earth still did not complete the redemptive process. He then had to enter into the presence of the Father, into the Holy of Holies, and show that His blood was the sinner's sacrifice. And then He did not leave the Holy of Holies. Guess what He did? He sat down on the mercy seat. And now became His throne. Matter of fact, Hebrew says it's now not even known as the mercy seat as it's known as the throne of grace. Wow. Mercy is withholding the judgment we deserve. But grace is giving us what we don't deserve. That's why Hebrews says that he now sits at the right hand of the Father at the throne of grace that we might come boldly into his presence and obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. Amen? All that had to be done. So on earth, his job was not finished as far as our redemption was concerned. He had to then enter into the Holy of Holies, show that his sacrifice was complete, sit down at the mercy seat, and thereby enacting the new covenant, whereby the old covenant, the law, which the law was, remember, the Ten Commandments was inside the Ark of the Covenant. And then on top of that was the mercy seat. You don't want what's in there. You don't want the law because the soul that sinneth shall die, Right? Mercy says, oh man, I don't want that. I need mercy. Hold back what I deserve. And Jesus said, not only will I give you mercy, but I sat down showing that the work is completed. When you sit, the work is done. When you're standing, the work's not done. 
So he does not stand at the right hand of the Father. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Are you with me on that? So that's why you say, man, why would he say, I've got to go to the Father. I've got to leave uh, before the Holy Spirit can come. The Holy Spirit takes the next role. He sits on the mercy seat and makes intercession for us. The Holy Spirit comes and takes up a new resident. And we are not the tabernacle of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The tabernacle is a temporary dwelling place, a tent. The temple is a permanent dwelling place. Holy Spirit takes a permanent dwelling place inside us. Man. what a, Now, you think the disciples sit here saying, oh, okay, your redemptive work probably won't be finished until you get to heaven. You think they're thinking all that right now? You know what they're probably thinking about? I wonder who wants to kill me. Right? Why are all these bad things? Isn't it funny how we'll get so preoccupied with all the bad things, and now he's moving on to the good things, and they're probably like, hmm, hmm, hmm. They don't get it. Praise the Lord that when we look here, Jesus doesn't leave them with the bad news. He'll move on to the good news. And that, for the believer, it always ends in good news, not bad news. Amen? Aren't you glad it's the the gospel, it's the good news of Christ? It's not the bad news of Christ? Amen? Now, there's going to be bad news for the unbeliever, but for the believer, it always ends in good news. Now, When we look here concerning the role of the Holy Spirit, what he's starting to tell his disciples, he begins by speaking about his role concerning the lost. Verse 8, he says, When he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will, what? Convict the world of guilt in regards to sin. Your translation uh, may say he'll convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But he'll convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment in regard to sin, because men do not believe. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, finishing His redemptive work, where you'll no longer see me. And in regards to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Now, he starts by speaking concerning the lost. When it comes to the lost, he says, let me tell you about the role of the Holy Spirit in regards to the lost. The role of the Holy Spirit is the prosecuting attorney. That's why you'll see the word counselor here. Uh, you know, attorneys are known as your counsel, the counselor. When they're called to the bench, the judge will say, well, the, the counsel of the defense, please approach, or whatever it might be. So the, that's why you'll see the word counselor. It's not just talking about um, news. It's talking about a role. He is the prosecuting attorney when it comes uh, to the lost. Now, praise God that when it comes to those who have been saved, he is our defense attorney. Amen. He is the counselor. He is the attorney of attorneys. Well, that's why when believers, when we see the ministry of the Holy Spirit, he'll be the role of the counselor, our defense attorney. He'll also take the role of our comforter. He will comfort us in whatever ails us and whatever uh, issues we're battling. And he also has the title of the helper. He will help us. He will enable us. He will empower us. So we, praise the Lord, we have all three of these roles uh, present in our lives as believers. But when it comes to the loss, they don't have the comforter. They don't have the helper. And they don't have the defense attorney, but they meet the prosecuting attorney. When it comes to the loss, the prosecuting attorney knows the law completely. There's no question of his knowledge of the law. Prosecuting attorney knows the violation thoroughly of the one 
who has been being prosecuted. He knows the motives without question. The heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know them? Except the Spirit of God. He knows the evidence of proof is substantial. He knows that the case is no contest. However, the prosecuting attorney also knows that the judge of all the earth has already passed down his verdict. And his verdict is simple. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not even one. There is none that doeth good, no, not even one. And so the the prosecuting attorney uh, who has all the evidence, knows the law thoroughly, knows the motives without question, knows that the judge has already passed the verdict, guilty as charged. Who is? Everyone is. Every single person on the face of this earth stands guilty and condemned before a holy God. Because every single person on the face of this earth has sinned against God, right? The role of the prosecuting attorney here is to come and then let the lost know what the verdict is. You see, the verdict has been given, but the sentence has not yet been carried out. Are you following me? All the evidence is in in front of he who knows all things. The verdict is, guilty as charged. But the, the sentence has not been carried out yet. Now here's the amazing thing. People look at this and they say, man, they envision the Holy Spirit out there like shaking his fists at all those bad sinners out there. Oh, you're going to get what's coming to you. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, this is a wonderful act of love being extended to the guilty sinner. You follow? The prosecuting attorney now goes and he makes an offer to the guilty one. He says, the judge will acquit you fully and completely if you will accept that the judge's son took your crime upon him and he paid your penalty and took your punishment. If you will accept that you are guilty and that the Son took every, all that crime on Him, if you accept that as your payment, the judge will acquit you. Isn't that awesome? He will drop the charges. <laughs> Here's the amazing thing about this eternal judge. Man's judge, when man is the judge, he can acquit a person of a crime. But that doesn't mean the person didn't do the crime. It may only mean there's not enough evidence to convict him of that crime. Or there was a mistrial concerning that crime. You follow me? And so the judge can acquit the person. The criminal has now been acquitted. Charges are now dropped. That's as far as man can go. Let me tell you something about the judge of all the earth. He can acquit the sinner of all the charges filed against him, that is no contest. He knows there's no contest. But not only can he commit or acquit him, but he can also now make him righteous. You see, a judge cannot make me righteous if I committed the crime just by acquitting me of the crime does not make me righteous. Right? I still did the crime. They just couldn't, couldn't bust me on it. Right? 
They couldn't sentence me on it. They couldn't carry out the sentence. Uh, the judge had to, to, to pronounce a mistrial or whatever it was, and I'm acquitted. But the judge of all the earth knows full well that the sinner, you or I or the whole world, is guilty right from the get-go. And he doesn't just say, okay, there's not enough evidence to acquit you, or there's been a mistrial. Listen, there is no mistrials with God. There is never a lack of evidence with God. Right? <laughs> there is never a lack of knowledge of one's motives with God. We are guilty through and through. But what an amazing thing that he drops all the charges against us and then makes us totally righteous as if it never happened. <laughs> you say, but it did, it did happen. Not in God's eye. He goes, no. I've taken all that guilt off you, all the things that you did, and it's as if it never happened and it's all been put on my son. All of it. <laughs> From start to finish, everything's on my son. That's, that is an amazing reality to you and I. That's why when you, not only will you know the truth, but the truth shall, whoop. I know we want to say set you free, but it'll say make you free. I can break you out of jail and set you free, but that doesn't make you a free person. But when the truth shall make us free, we shall be free indeed. Right? We, we didn't get broke out of jail. We've been let out of jail. And we could stand there before the judge totally free. Free from everything but our own mind because our mind keeps telling us, wait a minute, do you know who you're freeing? Do you know what I've done? Do you know how guilty I am? And the judge of all the earth says, oh yeah, I know. But I not only set you free, I make you free. Yeah. Amen. Isn't that awesome? justified. That's the word justified. Justice has been served, but justice was not served on the sinner. Justice was served on the son. And because justice was served and his holy demands were met, we get to walk away free. Hallelujah for that. Amen? But when it comes to the world, you look at this, you think the Holy Spirit's out convicting the world, pointing his, his finger of blame at them, but this is an act of love. This is the Holy Spirit coming down to lost man and trying to speak to them and convince them that there is a substitute, that, that there is one who died in their place. But first what he does, he tells us in verse uh, 8 and following, he has to convict the world, convince them of their guilt. And that's where the word convict means. The word convict does mean to point out a fault. To point out a guilt. It literally means to, to bring into condemnation. Now, the motives behind him doing that is not evil or bad motives. They're loving motives. He said, listen man, you've got to deal with this. You've got to, to face this. As a matter of fact, he says the most basic sin, which is the sin of all sin that leads to sin, is this. It's unbelief. He says he convicts the world of their guilt in regard to their unbelief in me. They do not believe in me. The Holy Spirit's role in your heart and my heart before we are saved is to point out that we do not believe what God says about us. That God says we are sinful. That God says our heart is deceitfully wicked. That God says that there is a penalty to be paid for that. You see, we do not believe that we are sinful. 
Before we're saved, we do not believe that we're guilty. It's amazing the things that I would do before I knew Christ and still think that I'm all right with God. Like, oh yeah, me and God, are, we're like this. <laughs> and yet, we don't believe that we're sinful. We don't believe we're guilty. We don't believe that Jesus is the only way. Oh, there's got to be another way. We don't believe that we cannot earn our way to heaven if we wanted to go there. We said, no, I, I, can, I can just be good enough. You know, How good is good enough? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, really, how good is good enough to get there? Or how bad is bad enough not to get there? He who keeps the whole law yet offends in one point is guilty of all of it. <laughs> so how bad do we have to be not to get to heaven? All we got to do is break one of his laws, right? All right? Isn't it amazing, though, that if it were not for the Holy Spirit of God working in our hearts before we're saved, we would say, I'm okay. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all okay. You know, God loves us. He wouldn't send us to hell. Remember, God does love us. And he wants to send us to heaven. And that's why he sends his Holy Spirit. He says, my spirit's got a work to do. Do you realize, friend, without the working of the Spirit of God, none of these apostles and disciples would be standing in the room right now. Right? It's the Spirit of God working in their life. So the Holy Spirit comes, first of all, uh, to convince, to convict, to point out the fault of the world's unbelief. You do not believe what God says about your condition. Secondly, he points out righteousness, he said, because I go to the Father. The righteousness, this righteous act that the Son is doing. And that righteous act that He was doing was the eternal redemption for your soul and my soul. Remember, there's no such word as eternal security. In Scripture, it's eternal redemption. Hebrews 9, 12. He came for our eternal redemption. He came, He's going to die on the cross. He's going to raise from the dead. He's going to be seated at the right hand of the Father. He's going to pay the price in full. Right? That is the righteous act. However, the Holy Spirit comes to the self-righteous person and says, well, I can get myself to heaven. And he, he points out the fault in their thinking. He points out their condemnation that will come in their thinking. He points out the fact of their guilt in their thinking. In other words, your righteousness, my righteousness, cannot exceed the righteousness of Jesus Christ's righteousness. All right? His righteous act is the only righteous act there is. No one can exceed that. No one can top that. So the Holy Spirit of God has to come and convince the lost man that says, you can't top that. And we can't top that, can we? No way. But yet somehow, we think, eh, we'll be okay. We can, we, can, we can just be good, earn our way to heaven. Holy Spirit will convict, remember, point out the fault in their thinking, point out the condemnation that's coming. Prosecuting attorney says, listen, I've talked to the judge. The judge said you're guilty as charged. The judge said the verdict is eternal damnation and separation, but the judge has an offer for you. Isn't that awesome? He has an offer for you. He will acquit you completely and make you holy. If you'll accept the fact of your unbelief is what's separating you from God. You don't believe what the judge is telling you. He says, you need to recognize that the act that his son did in your place is sufficient to cover all of your crimes. You believe that. And then he says, 
And if you don't believe that, let me convince you on the third point, which is judgment that is to come. He said, the judgment that is to come is for the prince of this world who is already judged. In other words, Satan has already stood before God and, and has been, the verdict has come in as guilty. The sentence is charged. He will be cast into the eternal lake of fire someday, right? And so the Holy Spirit, out of love, he says, listen, if you will not accept this offer from the eternal judge, then you will stand in judgment with the prince of this world who has already been condemned. As a matter of fact, he who has a son is not condemned. He that believeth not the Son of God is condemned already, for he does not believe the name of the Son of God. John 3.36, right? He said, it's not something in the future. He says, right now, you are standing with the prince of this world. The Holy Spirit says, do you, want, do you really want to keep standing there? Do you really want to meet the judge in his presence, standing with this prince of this world, Satan, in his guilt? You, you know, friends, what I want to impress upon you and I is that even though the Spirit in this word convict is to point out the fault in their thinking, to point out the, the conviction that they're under, to point out the condemnation that they're soon to face, even though the Holy Spirit is pointing all this out to them, it is an amazing act of love for the Holy Spirit to say, listen, Jesus is your only hope. <laughs> He is our only hope, isn't He? That's it. Apart from Him, there is no hope. He says, if you don't accept that, there's nothing else to accept. If you don't accept His Son, you don't have His love because all His love is in His Son. Right? So the Holy Spirit constantly works with the lost and says, come on, come on, take that step. Believe what the judge says. Uh, receive that full acquittal. Be justified by the judge of all the earth who knows you're guilty, but he will release you from all of it. Man. Now the Spirit of God must plead for people to come on. Take this offer. It amazes me how many years I said no. <laughs> How many years I stiff-armed him. How many years I just said, I'm, I'm okay. And I'll be okay tomorrow. It's funny, the devil just wants you to put it off until you put it off one day too many. Don't do it today, do it tomorrow. Tomorrow gets here, don't do it today, do it tomorrow. Until you put it off one day too many. What an amazing thing when that gavel drops and says fully acquitted enter into my rest. <laughs> That's what he does for us. All right. Focus, Tim. I'm sorry, I get choked up when I think of his yeah. grace to us. Because all of us, friends, we stood between verse 8 and verse 11. We stood there. Praise God, we moved to verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear right now. But he says to the believer, when the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the spirit will take from what is mine and make it your own. So we see that when it comes to the world, when it comes to the lost, the Holy Spirit takes on the role of the prosecuting attorney. 
But he makes an offer to them, a plea bargain, pleading with them, please accept this offer. But when it comes to the role of the Holy Spirit, when it comes to Christians, rather than taking on the role of the prosecuting attorney, he takes on the role of the defense attorney. He now comes to our defense. When the Spirit of God comes, he does not point us, he does not point out the fault, he points to the truth. He comes, the scripture says, when the Spirit of God shall come, he shall be your guide. It literally means one who leads you through life's road or life's path. One who will teach you and instruct you and give guidance to you. Have you ever, have you ever had a guide before? I'm, I'm not much of a fisherman. Some of you guys must be really good fishermen. I, I'm not much of a fisherman. In fact, I'll never forget the day I was fishing out in the golf with a friend of mine. And man, we were, I don't know, mackerel fishing or something. You got to put the jig down and pull, this, pull it up. Well, I'm going down like this. And, oh, man, I got a big one, man. I mean, whoo, and you can hear my line. He's like, whoa, 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 put the point down real like this. He would tell me how to do this, right? And so, I mean, I'm just, and I fought with this thing for like a half an hour, man. I'm, I could not get it up off the bottom. And I was just exhausted. I'm just like, cut the line, man. Cut the line. And finally he says, put the tip of your pole down again. And he did. And he's looking over the edge of the boat, and I see him grab this rope, and he pulls it up. And there was a weight, a downrigger. I was hooked to it. I was reeling in the boat for 30 minutes. (laughs) I'm not kidding you. I know. I reeled like crazy. I was so exhausted. And then when I finally stopped reeling, all adrenaline, I'm like, oh boy. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was feeding the fish. I'm not much of a fisherman. (laughs) But Captain Sean Crawford, who runs the uh, fishing outfitter guy down in Bradenton, great, great, great friend of mine. He's so patient with me. And then he'll, he never says, what in the world was that? What kind of cast was that, Tim? You're in the weeds again. I'm always in the weeds. I'm not, not out in the Gulf, I'm not, but we're in backwater. When we're snook fishing, he'll, he'll say, all right, now just cast it gently. Cast. You know, I've been out fly fishing. I had to have a guide help me. He'd always say, 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock for that, you know? And they go, 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 6 o'clock. Oh, I'm stuck in a tree. Oh, no, you know. <laughs> All right, give me a gun, man. That's the only way to fish. All right. But that guide, listen, you know what that guide does? He tells you what to do right and how to do it. The guy doesn't sit and point out all the faults and every time you messed up, every time you let the spool go early, every time you, you know, you hooked a boat or something. He doesn't say, man, I can't believe you hooked a boat for 30 minutes reeling it in. You know? He doesn't do that. If you're, if you're out hunting or hiking, the guide is ahead of you. He doesn't lead from behind. He goes ahead of you and he said, watch out for that. Don't step there. Be careful. The rocks are loose. Okay. Slow down a little bit. You follow, this is the word. It means to guide one to go ahead of and tell the one following how to step and where to go or what to avoid. Now, think of this in regards to what he says. He's going to lead you into what? All truth. 
So let's back up to those three issues. What is the truth concerning your sin and my sin? If the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth, what is the truth concerning your sin? The truth concerning your sin and my sin is this. Your sin has been forever forgiven. Forever forgiven. It means to release from a debt. He did not only forgive the sin up until the point of your salvation. If, if he did that, he'd have to forgive everyone after that, and you would stand condemned every time after that. You follow me? But when we come to Christ and we confess our sin, that we are sinful, and don't say that we're not, and don't say God's a liar, if we say that we are sinful, then he is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? The truth is, the Spirit will tell you all your sins have been forever forgiven. And have been cast in the deepest part of the sea. Amen? And have been separated from you as far as the east is from the west. Amen? Aren't you glad he didn't say north from the south? You say, what do you mean? Because when you go north, eventually you start going south. If you go south, eventually you start going north. But let me tell you the truth. If you go east, you will never, ever go west. You will always be going east. When you go west, you will never, ever be going east. You'll always be going west. You follow me on this? Are you sure? I'm sure. If he said it separated as far as the east or the north and the south, you go, boom, back at it again. But he says, no, you're separated as far as the east is from the west. And never the twain shall meet. Amen? The truth of the Holy Spirit is this. He says, you have been forever forgiven. The Spirit of God reveals to the lost their sin. He points the fault out in their life. He points to the condemnation that's coming if they don't accept God's free gift. But the Holy Spirit, friends, here it is. Are you ready? Are, are you ready? Are you buckled up? Because you need to be or you're going to throw me out for heresy. The Holy Spirit does not convict the believer. He does not convict the believer. And you say, I don't believe that. That's fine. Just read the New Testament. Find in there where the Holy Spirit points His finger at blame at you and I. It's not in there. I've been challenged on this point before and I went through it. I said, oh, I know it's in there. And I go cover to cover, there I go. Guess what? It's not in there. The Spirit of God never points to your sin and my sin ever again. He only sees you and I as righteous in Christ. He will even speak of Lot. Crazy Lot. 2 Peter 2, verse 7 through 10. You read about Lot someday. You remember Lot? We hear about him a lot, don't we? It's the guy that they used to always throw, right? Whenever they were casting lots. No. That. Okay. Focus, Tim. See, I started getting on this stuff. It's like, Lot, who lived there in, in Sodom. And yet the Lord says he vexed his righteous soul. He calls him righteous three times in one verse. And you say, Lord, do you know Lot? Have you ever read about that guy? Do you know the kind of life that he lived? Do you know the, the things that were, I mean, you, you can't be talking about a lot, are you? He never pointed 
to any of Lot's sin or fault or any condemnation. He calls Lot a righteous man. A righteous man three times in the one section. And then there's this other guy, big, strong guy like me, Samson. You ever? <laughs> maybe, maybe like three of me. You remember Samson? Does Samson have his act together? No. <laughs> Samson, oh boy, we won't get into everything about Samson. But you read the book of uh, Hebrews and chapter 11, and guess what? Who's mentioned right there with all these great men of faith? There's Samson. And you go, Samson? Samson? The Delilah Samson guy? Yeah. Lord, you shouldn't have brought his name up. You know the kind of life he was living? <laughs> Let me tell you something, friends. When God looks at us, He never points a finger of accusation at your life and my life. Then you say, then how come I feel bad when I sin? Why do I feel so guilty when I sin? The answer is because there is an accuser of the brethren who will accuse us to God. He sinned as if God didn't know it. Praise God that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Right? He doesn't say, refer back to verse 9 and, and ask for forgiveness for that. He says, no, you just, my little children. I love that part. My little children, little toddlers. In the courtroom, you sit there. Don't say anything. Your advocate, the defense attorney, Jesus Christ, the righteous, will defend the accusations of your unrighteousness. Right? The Spirit of God does not convict the believer of sin. The Spirit of God, you say, well, why do I feel bad? The Spirit of God, what? Points to the truth. Here's the way Walk ye in it. He doesn't say, look at you, bad person. Then you say, well, then why would the devil put a guilt trip on me for my sin? Wouldn't he want me to keep sinning? You know what, you know what the devil does? He puts a guilt trip on you and I, and then he blames it on the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's doing this to you. He's got a problem with you. He didn't want to talk to you. He didn't want to see your face. He's heard you confess that same sin every time he hears your voice. There's a problem over here with the Holy Spirit. You see, the, the devil, he tries to convince us of something that God's Word says is not there. The Holy Spirit is the one who never points to the guilt. He always points to the truth. And he says, the truth about your sin is God no longer sees it. That is the truth, friends. It's the truth. God no longer sees it. Your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Amen? Amen? That's the truth. He doesn't say until you blow it next time. Because no, I don't even recognize it. Because the Holy Spirit points us in the truth, not only in regards to sin, but what about in regards to righteousness? And the truth is, when it comes to the loss, he says, your self-righteousness cannot make it into heaven. But he points to the righteousness you and I have, not to our self-righteousness, but to Christ's righteousness, whom you and I are clothed in. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. God says, you 
are as righteous as he is in his son. 2 Corinthians 5.21, you know what it says? For he who knew no sin was made sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Is that what it says? The Holy Spirit, friends, in your life and my life, does not point out my unrighteous acts. He points out Jesus' righteous act. And he says, Tim, you are in Jesus Christ's righteousness. Friends, listen, it's not what I do that makes me righteous. It's what Jesus did that makes me righteous. It's not what I do that makes me unrighteous. It's what Jesus did that makes me righteous. Right? And we get on this perpetual cycle in our mind because you and I, we know each other so well. You know, we do good, we blow it. We do good, we blow it. We do, you know what I mean? I don't know if you're like that. Think of that. We're righteous, we're unrighteous. We're righteous, we're unrighteous. We're righteous, we're unrighteous. That's how we, we start thinking in our mind. And oh man, oh boy, I haven't been right lately. I need to ask God to forgive me. I need to ask God to release me. I need to ask God to cleanse me from this. He goes, wait a minute, Tim. You live, if it depended on you, you will find yourself in this vicious cycle. You're righteous, you're unrighteous. You're righteous, you're unrighteous. You're righteous, you're unrighteous. And in order to get out of that cycle, the devil says, keep confessing your sin and you'll get out of that cycle. But here's the thing. The more you confess your sin, the less you come out of that cycle. Because the more sin conscious you are, the more you perpetuate that cycle. He says, confess, which means say the same thing. Confess what I say about your sin. And what I say is that your sin has been forever forgiven, all of it. And what I say is your righteousness does not depend on you, nor your unrighteousness. Your righteousness is only found in my son. All of it. And so, you want to know how to get out of this cycle of righteous, unrighteous, righteous, unrighteous? Start confessing your righteousness in Christ. I am righteous in Jesus. I am holy in Jesus. I am forever forgiven in Jesus. Let me tell you something. You start focusing on Jesus, and the more that you start becoming Christ conscious, the less you'll find yourself in that sin cycle, and you start breaking out of it. But the more we're conscious of sin, the more you find yourself committing sin. You say, how do you know that? Because the law was given to show us that our sin's there. <laughs> and every time you try to keep that law, every time it points back and say, no, can't do it, can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. I'll, I'll be better next time. How many times do we say, I'll be better next time? As if what we do will make us righteous. And we forget that it's what Christ did that makes us righteous. We need to confess that to him. And the Holy Spirit, what's the truth when it comes to conviction? And when it, when it comes to condemnation to the world, he says you stand condemned if you will stand with the devil. But when it comes to you and I, he says here's the truth. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Right? Not from me, not from the Son, not from the Father. None of us point the finger of condemnation at you. The amazing part when it comes to sin is I don't need the Holy Spirit to reveal my sin and to point out my sin. The devil has a good job of pointing out my sin. 
My friends, they don't mind pointing out our sin. If that doesn't work, our relatives will be more than happy to point out our sin. Right? If that doesn't work, we'll point it out in our own lives. I don't need the Holy Spirit to point out my sin. I need the Holy Spirit to reveal to me the truths that are in Christ. I need the Holy Spirit to continue to remind me who I am in Christ. To continue to bring to my mind who I am in Christ. To help me to accept it by faith. To help me to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. I need the Spirit of God to constantly be telling me that. Constantly. Because I will hear a message of God's righteousness and that I stand righteous in Christ. I'll hear it on Sunday. I'll do good on Monday. I'll be rejoiced on Tuesday. But come Wednesday, come Thursday, come Friday, I start, conf- start confessing my sin again. And we start saying, man, I forgot all about who I am in Christ. Until we get back to this. Man, i got to hear that message of righteousness again. Listen, the more you confess who you are to God, and remember, I'm not saying confess your sin, I'm saying confess, say the same thing God says about you. The more you will do that, the more you will walk in that truth. It will liberate you. It will set you free, man. I mean, that is the perfect law of liberty. Tell yourself, remind, matter of fact, the... the uh, Scripture says when he talked to his disciples as we close, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. This revelation of the Spirit of God is a progressive revelation. You have some now, he said, but you will have to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? We don't have to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our own sinfulness. We know that stuff, right? But we're growing in grace, undeserved favor grown in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a progressive revelation. And what that simply means is you and I are not, should not be in the same place now than we were the day we got saved. When I got saved, I was dumb as a stump. I mean, I, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't hear all the great truths of the Scripture. <clears throat> and yet over the years, God keeps teaching and teaching and teaching. And I want to tell you something. I, let me be honest with you. I'm a driven guy. I don't know if you, I know you don't think I am. You think I'm mellow and a little recluse, but I'm not. I am a, I, I'm a guy that when I got saved, I said, man, I am going to live for the Lord. There's nothing that's going to stop me. And, 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 you know, everyone said, oh, give it a little time. You'll backslide like the rest of us. I said, oh, no, I'm not. I'm gonna... You know, and so I was on this, this perpetual motion of always trying to please God, always trying to do the right thing, always trying to, to obey all his laws, always trying to keep short accounts with God. And I even preached it that way. And yet over time, God's Spirit started teaching me from his word. And I know that some of you are where I used to be. And I know that some of you have a hard time accepting the fact that the Holy Spirit doesn't convict you. That's okay. It's not my job to convince you of that. That's the Holy Spirit's job. He will lead you into all truth. All right? I know in my heart that as He has led me and started opening my eyes in grace and grace alone, and it's all Jesus. It's nothing to do with me. It's not what I do that makes me righteous. It's not what I do that causes God to bless me. It's not what I do that causes God to bless me. He does not bless me because I am good. 
He blesses me because he is good. You with me? I kept saying, Lord, I need you to bless me on this. And, you know, I'll be better today and I'll do all these good things. Or, Lord, I know I don't deserve to be blessed. Because you never deserve to be blessed. <laughs> I don't bless you because of you. I bless you because of my son. And it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. I'm not saying there's things in our life we don't need to turn from. I'm saying there is things in our life we need to turn from. But what I'm saying is, how do you make that turn? It's not by focusing on what you have to do. It's focused on who you are in Christ. The things the Father has given me, Jesus said, those things the Holy Spirit will then tell you. He will speak to us about His holiness, His righteousness, His forgiveness, His healing, His help, His obedience. Those things, not my righteousness, not my help, not my sinlessness, not my righteousness, not my healing, His healing. And those things He'll make known to us. And the more we start to put our faith in that, the more we start to rest in Christ and get off that perpetual treadmill of trying to please God and say, thank you, Jesus, that I am pleasing in your eyes. No matter what anyone else thinks, no matter what anyone else says, no matter even what I think or say, confessing that what you think and say is what's important, and that's going to change me. Listen, friends, that'll liberate you, man. It, it, it's amazing how much I can, and how many years I could preach through the Bible, and yet I had it here, and it had to go right here. And when it hits there, you know it, man. You know it. It's just like, wow. Okay. Not that there's, not, there's plenty more to learn, trust me. But it's like, wow, what a heavy burden I used to carry so many years. Time to let go of it today, friends, and rest in Jesus. Father, as we close our time, these are hard truths because these are not often truths that we hear preached. Father, we, even as preachers, as myself, times will try to put guilt trips on people, try to, God bless you, try to get people to be conscious of their sin and not conscious of their Savior. Try to get people to keep short accounts with you when there is no account with you. We try to get people, Lord, to do better next time. Father, the fact of the matter is, we can never be good enough. Even as Christians, we can never be good enough. Our righteousness is not in us, it's in your Son. Thank you for our defense attorney who speaks on our behalf, Jesus Christ. As we come before you, Lord, we just ask that you will help these truths to sink into us. And all the times that we failed you, some of it, Lord, is extra baggage that we're carrying even today. We can't seem to let go of it. We can't seem to get past it. We can't seem, Father, to be released from it. By your Spirit, Lord, would you just deliver us today? I know the old devil doesn't like this message. It's okay, Lord. Greater is he that's in us and he that's in this world. Today is victory day. Today is release day. Today is a let go of baggage day. Today is a day that you've made and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Anoint us, we ask, in Jesus' name and in your spirit's presence. 
Amen. Amen.